This morning, I want to challenge you to try something, to try something maybe new. Maybe it's something you've experienced before, but maybe to try this afresh and anew this morning. You know, I'm not one to like to try new things too often. As you have figured out, I am a rather boring individual, right? I actually have somebody here this morning that taught Sunday school with me for some years. There's a head football coach there in Zachary. He's here with us this morning, his wife. He can come tell you that I'm a rather boring individual. There's not much to like about me sometimes. There's not much I like to do. I just kind of the same old thing, the same old thing. That's just the way I am wired. Some of you wives, you have husbands kind of like that too. But there are every now and then some things that I'm proud that people suggest that I try. For example, a tech basketball game. John Corley, only time he's ever said amen in the whole time of Temple Baptist Church. Somebody asked me to go to a tech basketball game, and oh, how exciting it was. And, you know, I went, and I've been there three or four times now. I listened to it on the radio, and I, I told Leslie, I said, the only bad thing, you know, about us only coming in December is we miss so much of basketball season, you know. I enjoy that. I also enjoy those moments when people say, I want you to try this new restaurant. Man, I like to eat. You picked up on that, right? To try something new and afresh. And this morning, I want you to try, at least afresh, I want you to try the bread of Christ that he offers. I want you to see what he says here. I think Jesus really offers the bread in so many different ways. As we look at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, this familiar story to you, a story that's recorded, the only miracle outside of the resurrection recorded by all four gospel writers. This is the way John presents it to us as we look, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand and jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted so when they were filled he said to his disciples gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost therefore they gathered them up filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten now i want you to notice the context I think John sets this story for us so well. He reminds us, first of all, that Jesus is growing in popularity. There are people that are coming to him. There are people that want to see healings. You can imagine how people are just wanting to find Jesus so that maybe he can touch their lives. He can do something that 
in, in some kind of experience that would bring healing to them physically, emotionally, spiritually. They're seeking Jesus at this point. And he withdraws. We're told that he withdraws for some type of rest. And it says that he actually withdraws to the mountain. I think that's significant because as I look at the Old and New Testament, there are so many of these experiences that people have with God. It's somehow some relationship that is furthered or something that is experienced in their relationship with God as they go up to the mountain. And it says he goes up to the mountain and in a sense to withdraw, to rest as these people would come. And it also tells us that this is the time of Passover, which means that there is great religious fervency. There is great expectation, spiritual expectation of things that will happen. You can imagine those days, even around some of our holidays, kind of like Easter Sunday. Don't you get kind of excited about Easter Sunday? I hope you do before then. There's something about that, about being able to come together. And you know it's going to be a great time and people coming and people are going to be dressed and the things that are going to happen in the songs and the sermon, right? There's great expectancy. And here around the Passover time, there's great expectancy that something might happen, that something will happen. So John sets it up for us like this. He says, here's Jesus going to withdraw. He goes up to the mountain, which is synonymous with these mountaintop experiences, these God moments, and then it occurs around the Passover. That means during a time of religious expectancy and fervency that something is going to happen. So John sets that for us. And then he leads us more into the story. He says, as people are coming, verse 5, Jesus lifts his eyes to them. And he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Jesus sees all of this multitude, all of these people coming, and he asks the natural question. He says, where are we going to buy some bread for these to eat? I mean, they're coming. I know we were going to withdraw and we were going to get rest, but the word is out. They know where we are. They're coming. We've got to provide for them. Uh, where are we going to buy the bread? These people look hungry. Notice that there are a lot of Baptists in the group, right? They're coming. They look hungry. Where are we going to buy the bread? And then Philip. You got to love Philip. Philip begins to do the math. In verse 7, it says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Philip, I would say that he is an engineer like mine, has an engineer like mine, but I have really beat up on engineers around here, so I'm going to leave them alone for a little while. And I'll say to you that Philip has the CPA kind of mind. <laughs> He's trying to do the math. He looks at all these people that are coming, and somehow, Jesus has said, where are we going to buy the bread? And he's trying to figure out how in the world we're going to do it. He's figured it up. Look, he's got it down. You can tell he's been on the finance committee. He's got it down. He says, 200 denarii. 200. That if we had that much, we could go out and we could buy enough for just a little bit. Just to each one to have maybe a little. Now, 200 denarii. Something like 200 days wages. Some translations may say seven months, eight months, something in that figure. Seven months worth of wages, eight months worth of wages. If we worked even over half a year, the better part of a year, 
we would not have enough to give them just a little bit. But see, what Philip had failed to realize is Jesus had not asked, how are we going to get the bread? He just said, where are we going to get the bread? For, for Jesus, this wasn't a matter of how. I mean, we're going to do this, okay? We're going to make, it's going to happen. I'm just asking you where we're going to get it. And notice the scripture says that Jesus already knew where he was going to get the bread. He already knew what he was going to do. So much for those folks that say that God doesn't know the future and that Jesus, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew how it was going to work out. Jesus knew that he was going to perform this sign, this miracle. But he, it, the scripture says that he did this in order to test Philip's faith. That is, through this, Philip's faith and hopefully the disciples' faith, that that faith would grow, that it would be multiplied. And that was the hope, that was the plan. That's what Jesus is trying to do, is build the faith of his disciples. So here he is, Philip, asking the question, well, even if we had enough, and it's, it's just, it's not going to happen, Jesus. We can't feed all these people. Not all of them. Well, Philip looks at it with the logical type of mind, kind of like we do, right? How many times in our lives have we looked at what's coming in, what's going out, and the different aspects of our lives, and how many times have we said, God, I don't know how this is going to work. God, I don't see how this can possibly come to fruition. And it could be financially. It could be in our relationships. It could be, it could be in so many different areas. God, we just don't see how this... The numbers do not add up. I remember the first church that I pastored. I was getting ready to, to go to Canaan Baptist Church and... Uh, I was still single. Leslie and I were engaged. We were, uh, of course, planning on getting married, I think, in about six months from when I went to Canaan. But we went to, I was getting prepared to go to Canaan and beginning to try to do the numbers and how all the things would work out. And even before then, like a few months before, we were engaged and Leslie kept saying, well, where are we going to live? That seems to be an important thing to people, especially the ladies that are about to get married. And I just say, oh, baby, it's fine. It's going to be fine. You know, when you're in love, you're in love. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be okay. We're going to, and she's like, where are we going to live? <laughs> See, what I didn't mention is that my parents were building a new house at that point, And they had built this apartment kind of upstairs. You see where this is going? <laughs> and there was some concern on her behalf that we may end up living with my parents. And that was not top of her priority list. But we began looking. And, you know, I remember starting out at Canaan. Of course, God provided a church, and I began to serve, and it had a pastorium, and that's where we lived, and... You know, uh, God just seemed to always take care of our issues. But, but look, I was, I remember back in those days, I was still going to school at Blue Mountain. Leslie uh, 
was finishing up one more semester of student teaching and hopefully she was going to get a job. But up until then, we had a house and we had about $200 a week. And uh, we thought, you know, we're doing pretty well. And God took care of us. God always has. I'm so thankful that when I look in, back in my life, God is always taking care of me. Always. And he's always taking care of you. You might not want to admit it in this place, but God's taking care of you. And even when we can't figure it out, even when we have the Philip type of mindset, God, how in the world would this happen? God somehow shows us exactly how it will happen. He shows us his strength and his power. Well, some of us have the logical mind of Philip. Others of us have the relational mind of Andrew. Because notice what it says that in verse 8, one of his disciples, one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a little lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, notice Philip is analyzing. Andrew says, I'm going to do something. Andrew says, let me go out and find our resources. Andrew, if you will, is the PR guy. He's the PR guy. He's the relationship guy. He's the fundraiser. He goes out. Can you hear him? Anybody? Anybody have any? Anybody have anything? Anybody? Can you give to Jesus right now? Anybody like to sow a seed? If you sow a seed right now, that was a joke, folks. <laughs> he goes out and he says, "Let me just find the resources. I'm going to find." them he goes out and he finds this little boy he brings him back and he says oh you know what jesus i found this little lad and um, he has five barley loaves and he has these two small fish what are they amongst many a lot of us have been like andrew before and we've gone out so we we're going to do it on our own we'll just make it happen we'd find the resources only to come back and say, hmm, God, how in the world can this meet my need? Andrew says, how in the world can this meet our need? Now, I know some of you look at this and you think to yourself, a little boy and he's only got five barley loaves and two small fish. What kind of, what kind of mama would have sent him out with just that kind of lunch? I mean, surely they would have stuck a little Debbie somewhere along the way, right? <laughs> Only lady that's never let me down in life, little Debbie. That's it. But notice the scripture here, verse 9. Notice the language of the scripture. Because it points, it points us to the insufficiency of Andrew and this lunch. Notice the lad. There's a lad. Literally a little boy. There is a little lad, and he has five barley loaves. Barley loaves were, that was the bread of the poor. Not even, they don't even have wheat bread, okay? They have the bread of the poor. He's got the poor man's bread. He's got two small fish, diminutive type of word that's used here to talk about like pickled sardine-like fish. This is all he has. The language is like the little lad with the poor man's bread that has little fish. Here he is. What, how is that going to help us? 
There was an old song that we used to sing in our churches entitled, Little is Much When God is in It. And in this passage, we see how God takes the little and he makes it much. He takes, he takes the lunch of a little lad. And notice, we don't, even know the, we don't even know this little lad's name. Just an anonymous, just God has often built his kingdom on the anonymous. On the person that you might not have read about or heard about in the newspaper. God has taken the little, the anonymous, and he has built his kingdom into what we even see today. He says, what, Andrew says, what in the world are we going to do with so little? Verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. And we're told that he actually divides them up. They are divided according to the other gospels in fifties and hundreds. And he puts them into different groups and they sit down. Because there was grass in the place, and he says, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. All of a sudden, we realize the enormity of this task. 5,000. If there were only, only 5,000 men, if just men that was counted in this number, perhaps up to 15,000, which is conceivable knowing that here is Jesus that had done all these miracles and people were just flooding to him because people wanted to experience healing there were all of these thousands that were there. Verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. Now, I can only imagine that when Jesus was getting ready to bless these, when he was beginning to pray, don't you know that, that some of those disciples were just like our children? They began to look around during the prayer. I think you and I probably would have wanted to see this too because he's taking this little lunch, and he's about to bless it, and aren't you sitting here thinking, how in the world is this? I want to, I'm sorry, Jesus, but I got to see what you are doing, what's going to be accomplished. And it says that as he takes these, as he blessed these, it says that they began to eat. He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Well, they must not have brought their appetites with them, huh? As much as they wanted, the little lad has somehow fed 5,000 plus people, thousands. They ate as much as they wanted. And just so that there is a moral lesson here, a, a visual Show and tell, if you will, verse 12. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Now, it is a show and tell moment here. You could say that Jesus doesn't like to waste. Certainly Jesus, I wouldn't think, would like to waste. But that was not, his spirit of conservation was not what drove him, I think, to have them gather up the fragments. Twelve baskets. 
think you have to be very careful about the way you reckon numbers in the scripture. People can make numbers mean whatever they want to, but it's hard to miss this one. That 12 baskets correspond to what? 12 disciples. It's like each one of the disciples, each one of them has his own basket. And in the days to come, hopefully that basket would be a reminder of God's sufficiency. I don't know about you, but I would have taken my basket home. <laughs> After that, I mean, I would have put it in a prominent position so that every time I needed to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ, I would simply look to the basket. Although, the basket was not the source of the bread. And while the basket is a good reminder, the source of the bread had been Jesus. And that's the reason I say to you today that Jesus calls to us and he says, try the bread. Try the physical bread that I provide. Try it in your life. See if I don't provide for you. See if I don't take care of you. See if I don't feel you. I can take little and I can make it much. And it could be in your giftedness and your talents. You may say this morning, Brother Reggie, I've, I'm just kind of an individual that comes and I sit here at the pew and, you know, I'm not one of these that I'm not in the limelight and all of that. That's okay. Ask the little lad. If you are available to God, if you present what you have, God can make much of it. God can take the small, and he can multiply it for his kingdom. He always has been able to do that, and he continues to do that. And he says, I want you to try that in your life. I want, I want you to try the, the provision that I, that I give. I want you to come to me, and I want you to offer yourself to me, and I want to show you how I can take little and I can make it much, and how you may come thinking there is no way that you could ever make these numbers work and you could work through this part of your life. Come to me, he says. Trust me. Remember, this was a test for Philip and I think the disciples. They had seen before how Jesus could heal people, take care of people. But now, they were reminded once again how Jesus could take the little and he could feed the thousands. So I say to you today, again, try the bread. Try the physical bread that God provides, how he takes care of us and how he watches over us. But I want to say a second thing to you. While we know that God provides and how he takes care of us and how we try that physical bread in our lives, let me remind you that our relationship with God is not based just upon physical bread. In other words, it's not based upon just what we get out of him. I want you to look on down, if you will, in verse 25. Next week, we'll come back and we'll note how Jesus, after this, actually joins the disciples on the other side of the lake. We'll talk about that next week. But I want you to see that here Jesus is going to the other side, joining the disciples, and the next day comes... In verse 25, it says, And when they had found him on the other side, when who? Actually here, he's talking about the crowd. 
the people. I mean, they had heard about Jesus and they wanted to come. They wanted to follow. And look, they were like, Where, where'd Jesus go? We want to go find Jesus. So they come to the other side of the sea and they said to him, Rabbi, when, when, when did you come here? Look at this in verse 26. Very strange statement. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly. Remember what that means? The old King James would say, Verily, verily. Here, most assuredly. In the original text, amen, amen, it means you better listen up. He says, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. What's the sign? Miracle with a message. You didn't get the message of it. But you seek me because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. This is what Jesus says here. Jesus said, the only reason you came to me is because you want me to feed you again. You're just following me because of what I can do for you. Now, the Galileans, they were unlike the folks down in Jerusalem. The folks in Jerusalem, they love theological discourse. They love to talk about doctrine. They love to talk about those kinds of things. But the Galileans, they were more of just... Uh, everyday kind of folks and they just they were just concerned about where the next meal was coming from how they were going to be taken care of and notice they come and they want to follow jesus because they think jesus is going to feed them going to take care of them he's going to be a leader that will satisfy their appetites and you know we haven't gone very far from this passage there are still so many people today that want a leader that will somehow fulfill their appetites. And here he says, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now listen, it's not wrong to try the bread, the physical bread. I told you that a moment ago. But why do we follow Jesus? Do we follow him just because he gives us stuff? Or do we follow him because of who he is and the relationship that we long for in our lives? Notice, they say to him, this is the typical Jewish question at this point, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? See, before he said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food. So he talks about a labor of work. So here they are answering in this typical Jewish question. They say, what must we do? We got to do something. I mean, that's what we've always been taught. We got to do something in order to experience the work of God. We do something and then God does something. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent notice he says work is equated to what belief and faith you know what he wants of us what the work is to enjoy the work it is faith it is belief that is the work to experience him verse 30 therefore they said to him what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you what work will you do our fathers ate the man in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they said, hey, remember it's Passover time. We're expecting something to happen. 
it was up on the mountain that we were there. Remember those moments with God. Surely you're going to be like Moses and you're going to take care of us and you're going to feed us and we're going to follow you and it's just going to be like every day we've got a new Moses. Actually, in verse 14, they had said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. In verse 15 of that same passage, they were literally ready to take him, seize him, and make him their king, make him their Moses. Said, we want to follow you because just like Moses, I mean, Moses gave us the good bread. And if we can follow you and you can give us the good bread like Moses, man, it's going to be a great relationship. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. He says, I'm the bread. Later on in verse 41, he says, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they begin to ask questions. How in the world is he the one who's come down from heaven? How is this bread? Later on, he'll talk about how uh, they are to take the bread. And they misunderstand it as physical bread at this point. And that's not the first time in the Gospel of John that they misunderstood his intentions. In John 2, when Jesus said, destroy the temple, and in, again in three days it will be raised, what did they say? Oh, it took 46 years to build this temple. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus be, being there, and he talks to him about being born again. Nicodemus says, how again can I enter into my mother's womb? That's a physical birth. Jesus is talking about being born of the Spirit. John chapter 4, the woman at the well... Remember the water that's offered? And she's like, give me that water. I want that physical water where I'll never thirst again. And Jesus is like, oh, I think you're misunderstanding here. It's not physical water, but it is spiritual water, which, which springs up into life. Notice this is the constant theme through John. And here again, they're misunderstanding. They're thinking it's just physical bread. And Jesus is like, I'm the bread. I am the bread of life. And you shouldn't follow me just because of the physical bread I give you. But you should try the spiritual bread. You should be satisfied with me. About a year and a half ago, Leslie got into cooking bread. Now, my wife is a lovely lady, one of the best women you'll ever meet. God has gifted her in so many ways, but she'll tell you probably cooking is not one of the areas. She's growing. You'd say that, right? And we're not, we're real people, right, Les, aren't we? They're all like, it's okay. I'll go home to eat with you afterwards, but it's okay. But let me tell you what, she got down. She got down cooking this sourdough bread. And I mean, it was awesome. And I mean, it would take a while to get the... I mean, you had to feed the starter. Every, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like you, it was a big process. You had to feed the starter. And, had, and look, there would be the day when you could bake the bread. It was awesome to smell it. I mean, to walk in the house and to smell the bread. Some of you, you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. I would go and I would stand at the stove just waiting, waiting for that to come. And when it would come out, oh, the, br the butter that would go on it. It was awesome. It was awesome. 
I remember just sitting there at the table and just enjoying that bread, just eating it. And you know, I think that's exactly what Christ would have us to do with him. In our relationships, that we would just be satisfied with him. Not just all the stuff, but with him. That we would enjoy, that we would savor our relationship with him. And here I think that's really what he's saying. Enjoy me. I'm the bread. Feast upon me. Take me into your life. Believe me. Trust me. Enjoy that relationship. And God wants us to be satisfied with him. Not just with all the stuff. Look, I, I give thanks to God that he provides. You've, you heard me say that earlier. I give thanks to God that he provides. I'm so thankful that there's the physical bread that I can try, that he gives to me, that he provides for me. But much more importantly, I am thankful that I can experience the bread of heaven, the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he came to be the bread of life. And he says to us, that this bread, it's not like was, that was given by Moses. It's not like that. Now, say given by Moses, but Jesus actually says, it was my father who gave that bread, not Moses. It was my father. And he says, in that bread, that physical bread you would eat, and then what would happen? They would die. But he says, if you try me, if you experience me, the bread of life, if you take me into your life by faith and by trust, then you will never die. But it will be eternal life that you will experience. And thus we have the, seventh, uh, the fourth sign written to us and given to us by John. And literally what I think John would say to us is, yes, just try the bread. The physical bread, yes, Try it, know that God provides and takes care of you, but more importantly, try Him. Spiritual bread for your life, for your soul. As the psalmist would say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I would invite you today, if you've never really tried Christ, if you've never come to him and, and enjoyed that relationship, I would invite you to come and do it. God provides, but I don't want you to follow him just because you think he'll take care of your every need. Well, I want you to follow him because you want to enjoy a relationship with him and that you love him and that you are surrender your life to him because he died on the cross for you, rose the third day, so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins and relationship. That's why I invite you to come and taste and see that he is good in your life. I invite you to come and try the bread. If you've never done that, if you've never accepted Christ, come and accept that eternal life. For those of us who maybe have lost a little bit of focus, some of us believers in this place, who have lost focus and our eyes are on the stuff, around us 
Would this be a day when we would come and renew our commitment? When we would literally rededicate our lives and say, God, we don't want it to be about all the other stuff, God. We want it to be about the relationship with you. And today, once again, you would begin to enjoy the bread of heaven and experience it in your life. Listen to God's call. Listen to his invitation. Be obedient today.